Well, good morning. It is good to be back with all of you and to see all of you. Uh, If you've been gone, then you have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, I've been on vacation, and it's wonderful to be back. Uh, Enjoy vacation, but always fun to come back sometimes. And uh, I just really am glad to be back today with you gearing up and heading into the holiday season. Thanksgiving is among us. Unless you're one of those, like uh, what Brandon said, why do you hate Thanksgiving? And start singing Christmas music already, right? Uh, my kids have already bugged me. Hey, Dad, let's set up, put up Christmas stuff. And, you know, I think I just need to stay out of that and let them do their thing. I'll like it either way, right? Uh, my name's Tony. If you're new with us today, a guest, uh, we're so happy that you're here. I'm the lead pastor here at Gateway. It's, like I said, it's good to be back. If you're online, welcome. We're glad that you've joined us online today. Uh, For two weeks, I got to join you online, and I tell you, what a blessing uh, to have that ministry, to be able to join. Uh, But also for those who can't be here, they're watching it, but also those who are just checking us out. I've had people show up, and they're like, oh, you're the guy we see on, on the internet. And I'm like, oh... You know, it's not true. The TV does not put an extra 10 pounds on. I'm really this big, right? That's just what I say. Who said, oh, you know, I'm not having a pity party here. But, uh, but uh, anyway, they do check us out online. But I do want you to know we're an awesome, embracing, Jesus-centered community. We love Jesus. We love one another. And if you're checking us out online... What a great community to belong to. You belong here. We just believe everyone that is looking and can, can fit into this church and belong, meet Jesus, grow in Jesus, grow with each other, and we're excited about that. Pastor Bob and Brandon did excellent jobs as they wrapped up the series on Messy. Um, loving others is difficult. They did a great job with that. Today, though, we're going to start a two-week brand new two-week series on, called Dollars and Cents, What the Bible Really Says About Money. Uh, it originally was a three-week message series, but I've changed that and uh, because I'm going to shorten it because in, on the 24th of November, and this is a little blurb for that, later on we'll talk more about the 24th, but on the 24th we're having a Friendsgiving Day where we are inviting all of our friends and family to come and join us for a great day. I'll be preaching a special Friends Day message that day, and I'm excited about that. But I want to just pause the series, and we'll jump in, and I'll try to get us through this this morning quickly. But uh, the 23rd, take your calendars out or your phones and put this date on. The 23rd, maybe it's in your bulletin, I think it might be in your bulletin. The 23rd, Saturday... The day before Friendsgiving is our pack the boxes and delivery date for our Thanksgiving dinners. I pitched to you guys right before I head out of vacation, hey, let's, let's gather $40 a box times 50 boxes. Can we do that? I come back from vacation and the envelopes are gone. All right? You guys are awesome that we have met our goal. Our goal was 50 envelopes to feed 50 families. You guys met that. We are preparing those boxes for food, getting the food ready, but also the materials. On the 23rd at 10 a.m., 
We would like everyone that can and would like to participate to come here Saturday morning at 10 o'clock on the 23rd. Help us pack those boxes. If you said that you would deliver a box, be ready to deliver those boxes by noon on the 23rd. So 10 to noon, we'll pack. I'm also going to do a 10 or 15 minute training on the invite. Because here's the thing I told the worship team today. We want to meet the need. But more than that, we want to meet the need with the gospel. And so we're reaching out through this box. Not that we are saying, to have this box, you have to come to our church. That's not what we're saying. that's, That's love with strings attached. But we do want to love people with a gift, but also with the Word of God. And we're going to have the Word of God in the box. We're going to have cards that invite them to Friends Day. We're also going to have special cards that invite them to come and join us the very next week as we start our Christmas series called Christmas in the, at the Movies. We're going to look at some very popular movies over through December up to our Christmas Eve service. We want to just invite people and say, hey, we just feel like if you don't have a home church, you belong here. We love you. We want you to be a part of our community. And uh, this is a place that you can come and belong. It's a place that you can come and believe. Find Jesus. Jesus will find you. And find relationships to help you grow as you become what God wants you to be. We're all about helping people get from where they are to where God wants them to be. And this is part of it. So I'm going to do a little training with you guys. You know, how to do the invite. How to just not like sneak up and drop the box on the ring the doorbell and run. That's not what we're going to do. All right. I know some of you introverts are like, oh, come on, man. That's if I'm delivering, that's the way it's going to be. Because that's what I would do. It's everything in me to kind of ring the doorbell and say, Hi, I'm Tony. And that's about all I got for you. All right? That's the introvert in me, right? But some of you, you will never stop. You'll be there like for 30 minutes. Oh, you want to get some coffee? You want to get some, you know, because you're extroverted. But I'm going to do a training on how to invite people with your box. How to use the box to invite them to church. So come out 10 o'clock Saturday, November 23rd. And promise you, you'll be out the door by 12, delivering your box, and you'll have the rest of the day, okay? Everybody good on that? Wanted to just say that. There, Brandon, check that off your checkbox. You don't have to do that later. So, Well, let me start by saying this today, and maybe you're with me on this. And sometimes I like to start my messages out with these just like bombshell statements, but I think you'll all find this true. I find it difficult to be generous when I haven't quite reached my own dreams yet. <laughs> when, when there's still something I need or want. When I have this dream about the car I'm going to drive, or I have this dream about the house that I'm going to have, or the, you know, the job that I want, the property that I'm saving for, or that 401k isn't quite where it needs to be. When I haven't quite reached my goal or my dream... It's difficult for me to be generous. And I'm not talking about generous as in, oh, here's $5. Or, I'm talking about sacrificially helping someone to where it almost hurts me. Ugh. I just find it difficult to be generous. We all have these dreams, right? We all have an idea where we want to be. And usually the dreams and the goals in our life go something like this, bigger and better, (laughs) 
more. And I'm just going to be honest with you, and maybe you're with me here, I don't want to go back and live in the 900 square foot house my wife and I lived eight years in when we started our family. Have you seen the size of my family? I got three grown kids. Well, quite, almost grown, not quite. Myself, my wife, I don't want to go back and live in a 900 square foot. Man, we were packed when it was just the two of us in Madison. I had visions. I wanted something bigger for my family. I wanted a bigger yard. I wanted, I wanted something that was more. I don't want to go back and drive that first car I drove out of high school. Are you kidding me? It was a Renault. Anybody ever heard of that? It was French. That should be all that you got to say, right? The French do a lot of great things like wine and cheese and all that, but they do not make good cars, all right? At least ones I can afford. It was a Renault. I think my dad and I put more money into that thing than I paid for it. It was constantly breaking down. I, I, didn't, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to, you know, when I sat there and I drove that car into the school lot and I was like, man, I'm dreaming about a better car, man. Bigger, more. I don't want to go back and make what I made when I graduated from college. I had a dream. I wanted more. I want something bigger. I, I wanted more, a little bit more money in my paycheck because my responsibilities, you know, I got the car and the house and to get bigger this and bigger that, I got to have more of this. And do you all see where I'm going with this? We all have a dream. We all have this goal in life. And typically, the dream is always bigger and better. Achieve more. Get more. And the dream has a name. The American dream. You hear it thrown out. The American dream. It's it's who we are as Americans. This is the land of opportunity. If you come and you work hard and, and you get the right opportunities that you can have bigger, better, and more. And we buy into that. It's our dream. It's, it's been ingrained in, in us since we've been children. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with trying to do better in life. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with trying to improve your situation in life. But here's the problem. The American dream will not make you happy. And that is what everyone is really looking for. In the bigger house and the bigger salary and the bigger uh, car, nicer car, the bigger bank account, we're all just simply in the search for happiness. We want the, the things in our minds and our dreams and our visions that we think if I can just achieve this level, I will be happy. Let me be honest with you. In my life, from the moment I started out out of college to where I'm at today, I have gone several levels. And at every level, let me tell you, you're never satisfied. Because there's always another level. And so we're on this search, right? The next level that never satisfies. It amazes me at the number of unhappy rich people in the world. I've met them. I've read about them. I've seen them on TV. 
some of them have reached wealth that we can never fathom. And they are the most unhappy people in the world. The American dream will not bring you happiness. Jim Carrey, who I'm going to quote, it's an odd quote from a guy like Jim Carrey. You know, the dumb and dumber actor and all this and all that. But he has this quote that just blew me out of the water. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they have ever dreamed so that they can see that it's not the answer. And I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, right, buddy. Just let me try it once, right? Uh, Riches may not buy you happiness, but it can buy a lot of fun, right? (laughs) But no, isn't it odd that this guy would say this? Here's this rich guy, very wealthy guy, very famous guy, and he knows. He's been there. He's achieved his goals and his dreams. And he looks back at his life and he says, he's not even a Christian that I know of. Doesn't claim to be. He says, I think everyone should achieve it so that they can realize it's not the answer. If getting more is not the answer, what is? Perhaps it's, perhaps it's the opposite of getting. Maybe getting doesn't make us happy, but maybe if you flip that coin and on the other side, what is the opposite of getting? Giving. Perhaps if that doesn't make you happy, maybe giving might make us happy. Maybe the world would be a better place if the world was more giving. But there's a deeper problem with the American dream. You see, the American dream leads us into consumerism. And consumerism drowns out generosity. What is consumerism? We just want to get and consume and get more and go bigger and achieve this and achieve that. And when we fall into that way of life, it will drown out any possibility of generosity. We've all heard it said, it's better to give than receive. But why? Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get but we make a life by what we give. A life. It's easy to get caught up in the American dream. It's easy to wake up one day and realize that each and every day I've pursued happiness. We think that this pursuit of happiness and getting more will give us happiness. Only to wake up and realize that you have so much but you're still so unhappy. Consumerism is a lie. Consumerism is a lie that more will make you happy. The good life that Churchill is talking about, the life that is full of joy, the life that is satisfied, the life that has peace, the life that has contentment, And you get off of that rat race, that kind of life, the life that God wants you to have and me to have, comes when we realize that consuming is not the answer, but giving is the answer. So today, quickly, I just want to go through with you and wrestle with this tension 
Because this is a tension for all of us. We're all struggling right now because many of us are like the rich young ruler when Jesus said, hey, you, you want to have eternal life? Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. You talk about a tense moment. And some of us keep an arm's distance from God because we're scared to death that God's going to do that to us. And we like our stuff. We like our things. We like our level of living. We like, you know, we're not quite where we want to be, but we definitely don't want to go backwards. And so we're going to wrestle with this idea of the pattern of the world that we live. And here it is. And the kingdom of God trying to break into your world with its principles that giving is better than getting. The world we live in says getting is better, giving, or getting is better than giving. Jesus' world says giving is better than getting. And those two things create tension for us. It's this tension between living for myself and living for others. It's the tension between self-interest versus interest of others. God wants us to live a certain way. And so our text today is in Deuteronomy. I'm going all the way back to the Old Testament. I can think of no better scripture because Jesus or God is trying to set up the kingdom of God on, on earth. And who is the kingdom of God at this point in history? The Israelites. God has called them. He's pulled them out. God is using Moses to establish this community, this theocracy, if you will, that God is saying, okay, I'm calling you out from the rest of the world and I'm going to start to teach you the character and will of God on earth. And I want you, Israel, to live this out. You're going to be my example. You're going to be my attempt to make everything right again. You remember the fall when sin entered the world and everything got messed up? Israel now is God's attempt to make things right. God is beginning His process of redemption to bring the world back to the kingdom of God principle that it should be. And it's creating tension. Israel is God's shadow of the kingdom to come. The law is established, rules and regulations, and how people should be in relationship to God and how people should be in relationship to each other. And that brings us to Deuteronomy 15, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Woohoo! Right? Let's do that. You think we could get the rest of the world to buy into that one? This is the year of Jubilee. Every seven years, this is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made with a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people. Because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. I like this guy. Moses, come back and teach us how it's done, right? Got a feeling Visa's not going to buy into this. Next slide. You may require payment from a foreigner, 
But you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes. God is establishing a community where the people will live out the principles and the character of who God is. Keep that in mind. Verse 4. However, there need be no poor people among you. Huh. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you. The land God is giving you, there is enough for everyone. There should be no poor among you. There should be no need among you. Listen to me, people of God. What does it say about a God like that, right? There there should be nobody who has any need. If only you fully obey the Lord your God. Now there's the ticket. There's the problem. There's the hang up. And are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. Verse 6. Was that verse 6? That was verse 6, wasn't it? Let's move on to verse 7. Oh, this is verse 6. Sorry, I don't have my glasses on. Is that verse 6? Yes, that's verse 6. Looks better up there. For the Lord your God will bless you as He has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will will rule over you. So He has established this idea of a community where every seven years, as loans grow and grow... Now, here's the thing I want to explain to you. This is not a typical loan like you and I go... You know, one Israelite doesn't go to another Israelite and say, Hey, you know, man... There's this like 15 BC camel that I want to buy. And it's just a, you know, he's, he's a great camel and he's going to get me across here and there. And, but I don't have the money. Can I borrow money for that? See, we borrow money for things that we can't pay cash for now. That's not what the loans were happening. They didn't come to the Israelites and say, hey, you know, I, I need to build a bigger house. And, and uh, no, what would happen in that culture was this people would find themselves destitute in a situation. Maybe they were poor, they were needy, they didn't have much to begin with, and a crisis happens in their life, and there is no government to fall back on, right? They fell back on each other. And so they would basically get a loan from another wealthy Israelite to live. They literally borrowed the money to live, to eat, and to to have things to get just the basic necessities, to get their families through. And Moses is saying, you know, people shouldn't be poor. People shouldn't be in that situation. So every seven years, I want you to just cancel those debts. Sometimes they even put themselves in servitude to the others. It's like they would work it off. They would come to another Israelite and they'd say, you know, I'm going to put indentured servants. I would put myself under your rule for the, for the next six or seven years and, and, and you take care of my family and I'll work it off. Those are supposed to be canceled. And the hope was this. In that seventh year, the farmers were not allowed to farm the fields. You know, all of this, nothing was supposed But the poor were allowed to come and grab what they could so that they... The idea was God cares about the needy amongst us. And we should too. God put all these provisions and laws and regulations so that the needy and the poor would be cared for. 
Verse 7. If anyone is poor among your fellow, fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord has given you. Next verse. Nope, stop right there. Sorry. In verse 4, here's what I want to say. In verse 4, Moses says, there should not be any poor among you. This is the ideal. This is the perfect situation. This is the theory of God's law. God does not want to have anyone poor among you. And then in verse 7, he says, but there's going to be poor among you. There's going to be poor. There's going to be need. Ideally, we don't... There shouldn't be any need, but there's always going to be people in need among you. Jesus said it, didn't he? When the woman was washing his feet with the very expensive oil, and his disciples were like, we could have given all that money to the poor. And Jesus said, but the poor you will always have. So there's this tension between this ideal that there should not be any poor among us and Moses' reality that there are poor among us. And so he begins to teach the Israelites how they should live. Listen, there's no government program. There's no not-for-profit, not even God's law and a year of jubilee of canceling debt that can solve all the poverty issues in our world. It cannot happen. There will always be needy around us. And Moses wrestles with the theory of the perfect situation and the reality of the ground situation, that there are needy. And so in verse 6, he shifts away from this idea that, oh, everyone should just, there should never be anyone poor to this idea, well, there's going to be poor, so we've got to take care of it. And here's how you do it. Verse 7b. Hey, Israelites, it's your problem. It's not the government's problem. (laughs) Here's the funny thing. It's not even God's problem. What? I mean, think about it. Couldn't God just snap his hands and just all poverty go away? Couldn't God just say, there shouldn't be any poor people amongst my people. There should not be any need. Boom, you're blessed. You wake up tomorrow and find a million dollars in your mailbox, right? That'd end all your problems, wouldn't it? No, it'd be the beginning of all your problems, trust me. Wouldn't it just be easy if God just snapped his fingers? Moses is like, hey, Israelites, God wills that there shouldn't be any poor amongst us, but the reality is things happen in this world. They're not perfect. The situations aren't always the same for everybody. Some people are born into situations that are more difficult than others. There's always going to be need and poverty and and things are going to happen to some people when they, you know, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous and all the same. God doesn't look at everybody and say, well, you know, you're good, so I'm going to bless you and you're bad. I'm going to drive you into the ground, man. That's not how God thinks. Moses is just saying, look, the reality is there's going to be poor among you and it's your problem, people. Don't count on God to snap his fingers. He's sending you. You say, well, what do you mean? I don't see that there. Sure you do. 
God's, Moses is telling the Israelites, he says, listen to me, Israelites, there's going to be poor people among you. And here's the deal. Don't have a hard heart and a tight fist toward them. Why? Why, Moses? What, what do you mean don't have a hard heart and a tight fist? When your heart is hardened toward the poor, your fists come like this. And he's saying, this is your problem. And if your hearts are hardened toward the poor, you will never be able to live out God's plan amongst the community of people that call themselves God's people. Those in the community with resources have an attitude toward them. They should have an attitude that says, my heart is soft and the compassion is overwhelming Therefore, true charity, true love is not to say I love you, but true charity consists of compassion being worked out in the life of the community of God through giving and helping. A hard heart leads to a closed fist. And Moses makes it clear that our approach to those in need, it's a heart issue. He's saying, if there's still people amongst you who cannot get ahead, it's a heart issue amongst the people of God. It means this, the community that best reflects the character of God and the will of God is where people have soft hearts, open hands, and generous toward those within that community. That is a reflection of who God is. Verse 9, he goes on. I skipped ahead a little bit. He says, be careful not to harbor wicked thought. So there's a temptation in us to harbor a wicked thought towards someone who's struggling. Maybe it's, well, what did you get yourself in that situation for? Or, you know, this is, you know, what's going on here? What, what, you know, we pass judgment and so we have this wicked... And here's the funny thing. Well, let me read it and then I'll tell you. The seventh year... Here's what Moses says. Don't have this thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near. That's a wicked thought. You say, well, that's a funny wicked thought. Well, hang on. So that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Now, why do you think you might give someone nothing if it's like the six and a half year of Jubilee. What happens on year seven? You cancel the debts. How many of you would love to go get a loan today and know that it's going to be canceled in like three months? You'd rather have that loan, right? Rather than knowing it's the first year and you're going to get a loan and it's going to be, you're going to have to pay that thing off plus interest for seven years. Which loan would you take? Here's how the people of Israel were behaving. People in need, in the moment, were coming to those with resources, and they, people with resources saw people in need within the community, and the people with resources looked at the calendar, and they began to calculate. And they began to say, hmm, Maybe we should just see if they can make it another three months. And then on the first year, then we'll loan them. 
Then we'll get it all paid back with interest over seven years. But if I give him the money now, in six months, guys, i got to let it go. I'm not going to make any money. Matter of fact, I'm probably going to lose money, right? And so they began to, that's why Moses said that is an evil thought. They began to calculate and make excuses on how they were going to be generous. When we begin to calculate our generosity, our hearts begin to harden and our fists begin to close. When we begin to look to our own interests other than the interest of those around. See, the heart issue was they were more concerned about what they were getting out of it than what they were giving to the person in need. Finding excuses is a selfish-hearted task. Moses says this, no excuses. On the sixth year and eleven month, if you see someone in need, you give to them. Willingly knowing that in four weeks' time, that debt will be canceled. It's almost as though he's saying, why don't you just give to them and not expect anything in return? That's hard. The meaning of this passage is that the community that best reflects God's character and will is a community where people unconditionally look to the interests of those in the community. So Moses is dealing with this very important characteristic of what it means to be the people of God. How we view and how we approach and help those around us in need The fact that we do not harden our hearts, that we close our fists and turn them away, or we are moved by compassion. How wide open is your heart today to those in need? How wide open are your hands? Your hands will be as open as your heart. God is concerned with the poor among us. God is concerned with the needy among us. God is concerned with those in our community who struggle with the basic needs to overcome things in their life and to get a step up to be self-sufficient so that they in return could begin to help others. God is concerned. Then I think, why doesn't God just bless them? Right? Why doesn't God just snap his fingers and boom, all their needs are met? Well, here's the answer to that. God, listen, God is establishing and renewing his kingdom here on earth. Kingdom, the kingdom of God is not simply a place where everyone just gets what they want. Listen. The kingdom of God is not just a place where everyone just gets what they want. It is more about a place where people perfectly reflect the heart and the character of who God is. That is the kingdom. That is the kingdom of God. It's overcoming that consumerism and becoming a generous person. Because that is who our God is. The kingdom of you say, well, why doesn't God just snap his fingers and help? Because he's sending you. 
and he's sending me. There is something that is sanctifying about giving. You say sanctifying. It's cleansing. It's setting apart. It's reflecting the heart and the person of who Jesus is. When we love our neighbors in need, when we give generously, we reflect most who God is. God is a soft-hearted, open-handed God who gives and gives and gives even when we don't deserve it. Because that's who He is. And the kingdom of God will reflect, the people within the kingdom of God will reflect that attitude. So why doesn't God just snap His fingers and make everything right? Because He is sanctifying and perfecting you, church, to be more like Jesus. And you do that when you give. You say, that doesn't make sense. So I just need to give and I'll be more like Jesus. Well, there's a little bit more there. It's the attitude in which you approach them. It's the attitude in which you live. Do I live for me or do I live for others? Kingdom people are generous people, moved by the compassionate hearts that are in them to do what is necessary to meet the need. Do you have a heart like that today? Do you look at the poor as God looks at the poor? Do those of us with plenty give sacrificially? God, through Moses, was teaching the Israelites to soften their hearts and open their hands and be like God in the community. So, fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus comes. He teaches the people. He dies for our sins. He goes into the grave. He comes out resurrected. Everybody's like, Jesus is alive. Their lives are changed. They go into an upper room. And Jesus says, wait there. I'm going back to the Father. But the kingdom of heaven isn't leaving you. I'm simply going to send my comforter, my spirit, and he will teach you all about the kingdom here on earth. And so they go in the upper room and it says the Spirit of God on Pentecost falls on the people. They see it like tongues of fire and their hearts are changed and they pour out into the streets. You know, they're like, I don't want to go into the streets. I'm scared. And now they're like pouring into the streets with boldness. And Peter's standing up to thousands of people and saying, you killed Jesus. He's dead. It's your fault. Now repent. Fast forward from that. These Spirit-filled people Acts chapter 4. The community of God is now coming together. They're living out the kingdom of God on earth with the power of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and lives. And here's what happens. Acts says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. There's that heart issue. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. Next verse. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerful at work in them all. Next verse. All that, all that were there, there were no needy person among them. Did you hear that? 
within the community of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, when everyone's hearts were one and their minds were one and they lived as though they were simply there to help one another. This great community, all the needs were met. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. Who would do that today? Brought the money from the sales and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Next verse. And they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to everyone who had need. Next verse. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And they used the money to meet the needs of the people. A young boy was staring intently through the window of a Cadillac car. The owner wondered about the boy, so he put his hand on the boy's shoulder and he asked him, What are you doing there, son? And the boy said, Well, you know, I really love cars. I really love cars. Man, this is a nice car. I really like this car. The owner talked more with the boy for a while there and he explained to him the details about the model of the car and the guy kid was if you're a car guy you know what i'm talking about he was he was into the details the engine size and you know the the pistons and all that stuff after a while the boy asked mister how much did you pay for this car the man replied nothing my brother gave it to me the boy responded i wish but then he stopped without finishing that. And the man chuckled and he said, I bet you were going to say, I wish I had a brother like that. And the boy replied, no. I was going to say, I wish I could be a brother like that. You see, sir, I have a brother who's crippled and in need and I like to do things for him. So let me ask you a question this morning. Which boy are you? Do you wish so that you can get or do you wish so that you can give pray with me as your heart is open this morning I just want you to imagine if all the world worked and saved in advance not just to have more but so that they could give more to the people in the community imagine the world we'd have imagine if all of us set a limit not on our income but on our spending, so that we could in turn make more to give more. It's crazy, I know. It's a crazy thought. One might actually think that the kingdom of heaven had come to earth. On earth as it is in heaven, right? Isn't that our prayer? But wait, isn't the kingdom here? Didn't Jesus bring the kingdom with him stand with me this morning as we pray repeat this prayer after me and everyone pray it it's just a community prayer and then we'll close this morning father just say it with me father the temptation is great to work scrape and save for all the things i want in life I'm too concerned about my own interests. 
I have hardened my heart. I've closed my hands to the needs of others. Holy Spirit, soften my heart as I open my hands. Remind me of your unconditional generosity toward me. Make me more like Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Go. Don't leave yet, but this is my go to you, and then Brandon's going to come up, because I know it's going to happen. I'm going to say go, but go and be the kingdom of God on earth. Let your heart be softened to the needs around you in this season, and do what you can. I know you can't save the world, but you might save one. I know we can't go and help thousands, but we might be able to help one. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sit down.